Welcome to Leadership 2020. I'm Claire Carpenter. So I'm joined this afternoon by Anne Franca, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Chartered Management Institute. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. So I know that you have a huge amount of experience yourself as an executive. It'd be interesting for you just, first of all, to give us a flavour of what what that is for you. Well, sure. I've had a long and potted career history. I actually started my career at Procter & Gamble and spent about 14 years with them. Then moved on to Mars and then a couple of FTSE 100 companies, Boots and Yell. I really, about six years ago, joined the Chartered Management Institute because one of the things I realized in my own experience as an executive is the difference that good managers and leaders make Mm -hmm. and, indeed, equally, the difference that bad managers and leaders make. And I have seen fabulous managers and leaders in my day. And equally, I've worked for some real tossers. And by the way, (laughs) I myself have been sometimes a pretty good boss and sometimes a not very good boss at all. So if you weigh all that up, it makes perfect sense that I do what I do now, which is to help people thrive by being good managers and leaders of other people. Yeah. And so I'm really interested in how you might think about defining that. So if you were going to talk about a sort of model of a great manager or a great leader, what would that look like? So there are so many definitions of this. Mm. And what I say to folks is don't stress about the definitions because they all boil down in a nutshell to creating the conditions for other people to succeed. Because when you are managing and leading a team, Your job is to get the best out of that team. If you do that, you are going to be so much more productive than if you try to do it all yourself or if you leave that team to flounder. Mm. And what is true is most people in Britain are what we call accidental managers because what happens is they're promoted on the basis of their technical expertise. So, you know, you're a great finance person, you're a fabulous salesperson or IT professional. So one day somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, congratulations, you're now in charge of the team and the money. Good luck with that. And they don't train you. And so most people freeze. They don't know what to do, and nor should they. But, you know, management is a skill that can be learned, and that's a really important point. Yeah. And that's a sort of changed perceptive, isn't it, over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. If you go back into the 60s and 70s, it was there was a lot of research or books written about managers are born, you're a natural leader. There's a difference of a psychological difference, isn't there, now about being able to learn to do it? Well, absolutely. And I think that's a really important point because most people to be better managers and leaders need to develop two things, mm. self-confidence and self-awareness. So self-confidence is vital because it reinforces that you can do this. And and believing that you can do something is a very important point. Equally, you have to be aware of your impact on others. And that's where self-awareness comes into it. And what we know, for example, we award the chartered manager degree. That is where people who are chartered managers tell us, I'm self-confident and I'm self-aware. And if you have those two things, you're already well on the way to becoming a better manager and leader. So there's some work to do for for many of us coming into those leadership roles, isn't there, to achieve both self-confidence and self-awareness? Absolutely. And part of the issue is that 
we don't invest enough in training our managers and leaders. Mm -hmm. So we estimate there are about three and a half million managers and leaders in this country at every level, because I'm talking about junior managers and leaders right up through to the CEO. And about over 70% of them are what we call accidental managers and leaders. They haven't been trained. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that will need to develop this self-awareness and self-confidence and also need to have the role modeling, the practice on the job, on how to handle certain situations. And, you know, as I say, these things can be learned and you do need to learn them in a work context. I think that's very important, which is why, for example, I think apprenticeships are so important because they give current and developing managers and leaders the opportunity to learn techniques and then immediately apply them in the work context. And that's a very effective way of learning. Yeah. So that, I guess I might call that experiential learning. Mm -hmm. it, it's the doing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And the retention and the processing of a theory that you might have looked at that really makes it live and breathe for you. That's right. And I think we are all humans and we know that, you know, if we live through something, then it is really etched in our being and we're much more likely to feel that we can master things going forward. Mm. If we simply read about something but don't try to put it into practice, it very often we'll just go in one ear and out the other. And do you see from the businesses that you speak to and the people that you meet, do you see some sort of pattern or legacy of underinvestment in in management training here very much so in fact well britain lags in productivity behind the oecd it lags by about 18 percent now we reckon as do other experts such as the bank of england and the ons and even the oecd the european body that monitors this that about half of that gap is down to management and leadership mm. The reality is that Britain does not invest as much training its managers and leaders as do the other countries, Germany, for example, or the U.S., mm -hmm. and that is creating a drag on productivity. Mm -hmm. And actually improving that uh, management and leadership skills in Britain, so putting paid to some of those accidental managers, mm -hmm. is worth up to £150 billion a year to the U.K. economy, which is huge. That's almost 5% of GDP. But... At an individual firm level, we also know it delivers incredible dividends. So, for example, if you effectively train your managers and leaders, our work shows you will boost your productivity by over 30% and your performance by over 20%. Well, that's a great return. I mean, those numbers, they're so compelling, aren't they? Given that evidence, what's holding us back? Why aren't we doing it? I think that's an excellent question, and, you know, I think that is why we have some policies, such as the apprenticeship levy, that are encouraging the employers in Britain to wake up to this fact, to do more of it. And I believe the apprenticeship levy, in its essence, is an excellent policy, and we do work with Cornell on it, but the reality is it needs to be better executed, right? Because execution is everything. Nobody ever sees a strategy, they only see an execution. Hmm. And that has not been great. But we have to stick with this because it is addressing a gap. And Britain's employers should be very eager to use their 
apprenticeship levy and to invest in upskilling their managers and leaders because use it or lose it. It strikes me there's a piece of work to do with senior leadership in some of these organizations who are, in fact, even still using that levy funding and rolling out some lower level management training. Actually, they're not necessarily doing anything with it and following it up themselves. I think that's true. I mean, interestingly, although the management and leadership trailblazer apprenticeships are among the most popular, they're also among the most necessary. Mm -hmm. And we know that there's far too many unspent levy funds, which means that the vast majority of companies haven't cottoned on to the fact that they should be using this money and they can be using this money to upskill all of their managers and leaders, not just young people. I'm talking about the first-line manager. I'm talking about the middle manager, even the senior leader. You can use your levy money to train all of these people, and I would encourage all companies to do that. And in fact, as I say, the rewards are very significant. Some of those big numbers, those big performance improvements mm. that I pointed to can be yours. And and I can add what something that will be on the minds of everybody is this is going to become all the more necessary given the big B, Brexit. Mm. Yeah. So what impact do you think that's going to have? Why do you think it's all the more necessary? Well, as we know, Brexit is going to have a number of impacts. One, it's going to make it much more difficult for a lot of businesses to access the skills they need. So, for example, if you're in hospitality or construction, you are going to be facing a a real skill shortage. Secondly, as we know, we are dealing with prolonged uncertainty. Again, I go back to when you are self-confident and self-aware, when you know how to manage and lead others, what this does is it enables you to create your own certainty. So although you might not be able to inject certainty into the macro environment, you can control what happens in your own team, in your own firm, in your own organization. Mm-hmm. And being a better management manager and leader is going to make that team and that organization perform so much better. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's also going to make them happier. You will be happier if you're a good manager and leader, and your team will be happier. It boosts well-being and engagement. So Mm -hmm. whichever way we look at it, from the hard performance stats to just the mental wellness of people, Mm -hmm. it's a great thing to be doing. And there's more awareness of um, mental health now, I think, more certainly more discussion than there has been for a number of years, isn't there? Well, one of the things that we know is that the major source of stress in the workplace is, for example, the the line manager. Mm. And we know at CMI, we've done some work, and we estimate this costs $19 billion a year, just in absenteeism due to stress. Wow. So, you know, if you want people to turn up, you you really do need them to be well-led and managed. Mm-hmm. And and again, this is this is something that's within every organization's gift. And I would add that when you have cultures where management and leadership is valued, you tend to have more trust. Mm-hmm. And where you have more trust, you have more engagement and better growth. So again, this is a recipe for success that is within your own gift. So the pragmatic business leaders that we have out there, hearing you talk this afternoon, 
ought really to be hearing there's this 19, I think you said 19 billion pounds of lost productivity, plus the 30% increase in existing productivity that's possible as well with a better trained management workforce. Absolutely, there is everything to go for. And I think it is really the thing that everybody in every organization can just do, mm. right? They, they're not reliant on any anybody else but themselves. It, and, and I encourage everybody to take responsibility for doing this. And to be fair, I think pre the financial crisis, there was a lot more of this going on. I think that it's really been, and, and the, the, the facts show that it's really been since that 2008 financial crisis that the productivity has in this country has taken such a hit. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can address that. And again, investing in your people to train them in better management and leadership practices. Use your levy to do it because if you don't use it, you will lose it. Mm. And making sure that you do that at every single level. So, you know, no point. We tend, unfortunately, to have graduate programs and then we leave people to flounder until, oh, they get to senior director level. And then we train them. Well, by then it's, you know, (laughs) what, they have 10, 20 years of doing it wrong? That's too long. Don't wait. No need to wait. And the average wait is over 10 years. But my advice is you have to train people throughout their careers. And at CMI, we, we create career paths to chartered manager and beyond because we know that people that take control of their CBD and constantly or continuing professional development and constantly challenge themselves to improve deliver better results and they enjoy their jobs more. And the alternative is they're learning from their experience of doing things badly and then that compounds the the mistakes that are made over that 20 potential 20 year gap that you're talking about well that is very true we are creatures of habit Mm. and if nobody is telling us to break those habits we don't you know and by the way i know that we've talked a lot about stress in the workplace and let's face it bullying creates stress but you know tolstoy said that there are you know all families are happy all all unhappy families are unhappy in their own way and actually there's you can say a similar thing about managers. Mm-hmm. Most good managers have the same characteristics in common. They're challenging but supportive, and they value their people, and they listen to them, and they share their thinking with them, and they have conversations with them. Mm-hmm. And that is what good managers and leaders do. Now, there are many different kinds of bad managers. There is the micromanager, right? drives you up the wall because they just whatever it is you do they sit they take it away and say nope I'll do it myself there's the hide in the office manager that never sticks his or her head out never says hello never asks a question never seems to care what you're up to right mm. then of course there are the shouty types so there are many different kinds of bad managers and we do need to break these bad habits and replace them with the good manager habits. So what do you think will influence somebody to show some vulnerability and ask for help here? So it feels like this isn't happening all over the place. I think that's a great point. And in fact, let's put some color into that. A lot of the big corporate crises have happened because people have been petrified of raising bad news to their bosses. They've been petrified of saying, I'm really sorry, I don't know how to do this. I just don't know how to hit this target. And so 
because they're afraid to, to, to raise their hand and ask for help, they fudge it. You know, and this has led to companies cooking the books. Ooh. It's led to companies flagrantly violating best practice regulations, cheating out consumers on products. And all of that is because they're just too afraid to raise their hand and say, I need help. And that's down to a culture of fear. And that's bad management. So again, the other reason to do this is you minimize the risk. You minimize the downside. If you create a culture where anybody can come to you and say, you know what, I'm really sorry, I need help with that. And could I have your advice, please? Then they're sharing their concerns with you. And as a leader, that is so important that you enable them to do that. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you want to inspire trust, you might share a time when you didn't know either and needed to ask for help. You might say, you know what, I'm glad you asked that. It's okay, because when I was in your shoes, I needed to ask for help too. Mm. And I had a boss who did help me, and it made a huge difference to my own self-confidence, and let me help you with that. Mm. So again, I think that's a really important point. Vulnerability inspires trust. Yes. And I'm listening to you speak, and it sounds like that's a sort of sponsoring, mentoring, coaching sort of role there. How can we get more of our organizations fostering that kind of environment, do you think? Well, again, I think that's a practice. You have to learn that. And we know that to learn coaching and mentoring skills and sponsorship skills does take practice. So there are lots of um, simple tools and techniques we can use. And in fact, you know, on the, the CMI qualifications that, that we do, people do learn those and they practice those in situ. Mm -hmm. So you actually learn how to do it well and you see when you do it less well, you know, you're able to learn from that in the situation. Mm -hmm. And then again, what's great about practice-based learning is then you go into your place of work and you try it out. And it's so rewarding. I've talked to loads of people that say, you know, I just learned about this and then I went back in my workplace and I tried it out and it, and it worked and it really changed behaviors. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing, you know, you can change. You can learn to do things differently and better. I've done that. I've made some very bad mistakes. And when people raise that to my attention, you know, for example, you just walk in, you, you know, one of those bosses who walks in to their office, shuts the door, hides, doesn't ask how you're doing. Well, you know, when, when you're under stress, you might do that. I did that once when I was under stress in my mid-30s. And my team came to me and they said, will you please just say hello and ask us how we are? I mean, you know, how hard can that be? And boy, they were right. And I changed my behavior. And we went on to be a hugely productive team that did a very successful launch. But it Sometimes it takes intervention. So again, my advice to those of you who are working for accidental managers or perhaps a version of a bad boss, please find a way of constructively bringing it to that person's attention. Because oftentimes, this goes back to self-awareness, we don't think enough about the impact of our own behaviors on others, but we should. And I guess that's born out of the discussion around the emotionally intelligent leader and the impact that that person's growth through growing their emotional quotient, if you will, allow it, rather than their IQ, the impact that that has on their team. I couldn't agree more. Empathetic leadership is of vital importance. And actually, that brings me to another point. And again, this is a point that British organizations and any organization has within its gift, 
diverse leadership teams. Mm -hmm. If you have diverse leadership teams, you are much more likely to encourage inclusive, empathetic leadership and reap the benefits that that brings. And they, again, are myriad higher trust, higher performance, higher engagement, less risk. And when you talk about diverse management teams, what does that mean for you? What does that actually well, mean? Well, I think, and you know, it's it's timely that I came from a, a release earlier of some figures of the Hampton Alexander Review of the figures of the amount of women in the executive pipeline. And in fact, I'm writing another book on this, on gender balance. We are stalled. Mm-hmm. And I would say the first step in diversity, especially for firms that are stalled, is more women. Why do I say that? Because guess what? Women are 51% of the population. They're not a minority. And in most developed economies, the UK included, there are more women in university and they're getting better grades. Mm -hmm. So this is a very obvious place to start. Now, once you get the ball rolling on getting more women, and we have a long way to go, by the way, to close that gender pay gap and to close the gap at the leadership level where three quarters of leadership positions are still held by men, But once you start to close that gap, what firms notice is actually they create more inclusive environments for everybody. And that's that's true of minorities. It's true of sexual orientation. It's true of cultural background and experience. So diversity begets diversity. And I think gender diversity is a great place to start. And again, the stats on that are enormous. You know, if we closed Britain's gender pay gap, we'd add another $150 billion to the UK economy. Mm. That, too, is within every organization's gift. So there's so many important and, and fundamental points in what, you're, in what you're talking about this afternoon. I guess just finally, if I were to ask you to draw out just maybe two or three really, really important things that you think we need to do in this country to develop and to, and to, and to turn around the leadership issues that we have at the moment, what, what would they be? So I would say, and again, I'm going to take this at the organizational level, okay, because we're not all government ministers, and actually we're not all, you know, running big, important organizations, but we do all belong to an organization. Maybe we're leading it, maybe we're in the middle of it, but the first is own what you can. So take control and accountability for developing your own management and leadership skills and those of your team, Mm -hmm. and every single person listening to this podcast can do that. Secondly, when you do that, benchmark your progress. So keep an achievement log of the things that you've learned to do differently and better. I think it's very important that you remind yourself of the progress that you are making and that you get your team to remind themselves. Praise is an incredibly underutilized management tool. So praise yourself and your team for the stuff that goes well. Too often we don't do that. And the third thing I would say is regard it as something lifelong. Mm. You will never stop learning. I never stop learning. I still make mistakes every day. Well, maybe every other day. (laughs) And, you know, I have to have the awareness and the emotional, the EQ to correct them. So know that you will make mistakes. It's okay. Actually, 97% of us make mistakes, have crises at work, and the other 3% were lying, okay? So, you know, it happens to everybody. You will make a mistake, but you equally will bounce back. Yeah. 
So resilience is a very important trait to have as a manager and a leader at every level. And if I could say as well, get chartered, become professional. Chartered managers know all this stuff because they've learned it and they've internalized it and they've committed themselves to lifelong learning. And that's what it's about, isn't it? It is an investment in yourself. Absolutely. And it's one that pays great dividends, not just for you, but for your colleagues and the people that work around you and for you and for the organization that you work for. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So many great insights. Really appreciate that. Thank you. My great pleasure. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a rating and review to help others find out about the show. This is a Podo podcast produced by Nick Hilton in association with Corndell.